cartoon characters, magicians, superheroes. Have you ever wanted to see any of these people have sex with the president? Hi, Alex here from Suck My Fanfic, and have I got a deal for you. We're the internet's favorite fan fiction review podcast. Ryan, tell them the offer. That's right, Alex. If you listen now, we'll provide thorough pseudo-intellectual analysis of softcore erotica of your favorite childhood memories. And how much does it cost? For only a small investment of one hour and 45 minutes of your life, you can have your very own weird erection. (laughs) (laughs) Download now. Oh, shit. Well, that was a good intro, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Just for the people listening, we had this planned out, but I didn't know the weird erection was going. Oh, I didn't either, did I? Oh, okay, That's good. kind of how it happens. That's yeah. how all of this happened. The weird mm. erection or the, the, fun, the funny things? Uh, yes. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Good point. Hi, everyone. As we said, we're Suck My Fanfic, mm-hmm. um, a podcast that reviews fan fiction, whether good or bad, mm-hmm. but we review it. And we try to do it as thoroughly and as fairly as possible. And screams like angry pitchmen through the thin walls of Alex's apartment. Yes. I'm sure my neighbors are upset, but the upstairs ones, I think, are 300 pounds apiece, and they have sex all the time. <laughs> and the ones behind me play nothing but bass. So mm-hmm. they can fuck themselves. Well, the ones above already are. But the other <laughs> ones can fuck themselves. They play bass at like at like 8 in the morning on Sunday. Slap. Fuck yourself. You got to slap bass when you can, man. You got to slap the bass when you can. That's you a good point. Can, it's fine. I just take the banjo. I fucking aim it directly at them. And I'm like, <laughs> I hope you like this bluegrass, it's you like, son of a bitch. <laughs> it's like the black or white music video. I crank my banjo up to 11, yeah. and I just hit them with a roll. Yeah. Like Back to the Future, too. Yeah, exactly. Boom, boom, just yeah. shoot me backwards. Like stereo system. Yeah. Hey Ryan, how you doing today? Uh, I'm pretty good. It's, yeah? a, it's a beautiful day. I neglected to mention this, but earlier you had one of the biggest cups of tea I've ever seen in my life. Did I really? Yeah, I think you, it's like oil drum size. It was really I was large. Spilling the tea. I'm sorry, you're spilling the tea into a, just a massive, uh, you know, vessel for it. Oh yeah, so, yeah. All right, opening topic. You ready, Ryan? Yeah, let's I've do been it. saving this one. I've been. I'm really excited to hear it. You ready? Okay. Your thoughts on the Game of Thrones finale? The finale or the final season? Let's go finale, then final season. I like the finale. I like the finale, what? and the final season was bad. I'll tell you why. And I told my sister this going into it. Well, real quick, let's yes. just specify. Let's clarify. Ryan, you have read all the books. Not all of them. Not Feast for Crows. Okay. So that's the most recent one. Uh, yeah, I think so. So you haven't read the most recent one, but you have read the books. Mm-hmm. So already you have a better baseline knowledge of Game of Thrones than like eighty five percent of the people. I mean, who watched I, it. I mean, I read them a while. I'm not, I don't claim to have. No, as I'm not much. saying I'm not saying yeah. you're an expert, but I'm saying you know how the books are written, and you can compare it to the hmm. TV show. Sure, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's hard to compare when it hasn't happened yet. But um, I mean, you know, a plebeian like me, I haven't read the books. <laughs> So I don't have anything to compare it to. I just have the two seasons that I've watched and the final episode, which I did watch. My big thing, and I'm very confused. I know it has to do with contracts and everyone wants to move on. But, like, you could have blown this out into two more seasons and made so much money. HBO wanted ten seasons. It's very confusing. That's not not a secret. George R. R. Martin wanted ten seasons. It's very confusing. The actors wanted ten seasons. Why? The actors didn't want to stop. This is an instance where you probably should have sold out and kept making money because it would have been it would give you more time. And that's well, my, no, no, no. It, it's just D and D who sold out because now they can make Star Wars. Right. Well, that, make more money. That's 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 my thing. Is that season eight did not care for because it just moved so fast and for some reason they had to go so quickly. 
Like, it's, I don't have a problem. This is big-time spoilers. Yeah. Um, I don't have a problem with the Night King not being the, the ultimate peril. But you can you can flesh that out a little more. You know what I'm saying? You can have a couple more episodes to explain it, maybe give them some backstory. But I went into the finale being like, obviously, they want it. They, they, they have an ending for this. And all this stuff that's upsetting everybody, all these choices that are made so fast and the things that don't make sense and it's like well, inconsistencies and frustrating points, mm-hmm. that is to get to this point. Because it makes no sense, if you want to end it, it makes no sense to like rush all the way, get to the ending, and then rush through that. Like, yeah. they're, they're getting to the destination is the final episode. So I said, okay, I'm just going to accept everything that happened, just accept it, especially particularly in that penultimate episode, and then I go into it. And then that made it a lot more of an enjoyable experience because I'm like, oh, I'm buying into it. I'm understanding the finale, what's going on. The problem was the journey. And the Game yeah. of Thrones is all about the journey. And I saw someone tweeted a chart about the, the amount of words per minute. Mm-hmm. And it just steadily declined as it moved farther away from the books, which are very word-heavy, conversation-heavy. Yes. As it moved away, it, it just, you know, you lose those conversations. You yeah. lose those. That's what makes Game of Thrones so great is you, yes. to, you be in the room where it's happening, where, where the decisions are being made and the, the deceit is being sown. Mm-hmm. Um, so just kind of blast through that. And, you know, on, a, on in another... On the other hand, entirely, it was a spectacle. Yeah, it was a. The, I mean, it looked great, beautiful. And then you had those, um, you know, first day film school students when they had the dragon behind Daenerys. So, like, if you think if you want to see good filmmaking, it spawned a great meme. It was cool, a great meme. Yeah, it was cool, mm-hmm. but like uh, every every class in film school should teach this. Yeah. And then people oh, would post like funny things. Up. That was yeah. funny, and then it became a funny. Yeah, joke. it became a meme. Um, they memed on them. So yeah, like the ending. I, I thought that I thought it was I thought it was good. The People have a lot of frustration with Bran, and I, there's a podcast that you listen to. It's called um, Binge Mode, and they talk mm-hmm. about it a lot. They read the books. They review every episode. And I agree that there's just no, um, not enough magic in the show because it's for a lot of people. It's, yeah. The, the whole story is called A Song of Ice and Fire. They chose to call it Game of Thrones because they knew that's what people would want to see, that game, the yeah. political me- mechanisms mm-hmm. and everything. So when it comes to Bran and it comes to the Night King and everything, you kind of just get this hand wavy, yeah, he can see future, whatever. Yeah. Here's Jon Snow you know, running around brooding. Yeah. Because they know that's what Jon Snow. So when you get to the ending that George R. R. Martin wanted, what he's setting up in the books, and you haven't done that legwork and the yeah. magic and the mythos, mm-hmm. it just And like, you totally disregard the magic what? almost. Yeah, absolutely. I, re- I read this thing. I, I have it pulled up. So Jon Snow was a Targaryen for no reason. Mm-hmm. Bran became the Three-Eyed Raven for no reason. Danny did amazing things for eight seasons for no reason. Mm-hmm. Prince, who was promised, no reason. Everyone you wanted to team up for eight seasons, team up for no reason. Everyone you wanted to die, died for no reason. Mm-hmm. Every Bran Stark... Um, Oh, Bran Stark, the character no one gives a shit about for eight seasons is king. Why? For no reason. That's why. I've watched Game of Thrones since 2011 for no reason. I I hate that. That's I everything about you hate, that. I, okay, so you everything hate the, I feel about that is wrong. You hate the mentality behind someone posting that, or you yes. hate that it that it has true. to be that way. No, no, I hate that mentality. Okay, because now you're like you're going back and you're saying all oh, those deaths don't mean anything. It's like that. The it was in the moment. It was the arc of the yeah. season. The red went. Oh yeah, because Rob Stark is dead. Like I thought it was leading to this great end. Like the fact that the ending is terrible. Like you mm-hmm. can't enjoy the journey. Each yeah. decision being amazing. Yeah. That 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 right there is like you can't have the ending just destroy no. the show. I also does it affect like certain characters like Daenerys's character? Yeah. Sure. 
But, you know, you can't let it cheapen everything else. Everything else no. is so rich and well done. I think another thing, and that's something that we're kind of coming at a crossroads with nowadays, just with our media, mm-hmm. is maybe not in the past, but maybe just through different mediums, mm-hmm. art has been less of a dialogue. Art has been more of an expression. So mm-hmm. when you go to a, a gallery... And you sit down and you look at a piece of art, especially mm-hmm. if it's nonsensical and, I mean, you know, hippy-dippy. Everyone's going to get a different impression from it. And I'm not going to lie. There have definitely been some some of those art pieces that you look at that have no shape or form. And I sit there and I'm like, wow, I actually do feel something at, mm-hmm. at this for some reason. I don't know why. Not very often. Mm-hmm. 99% of the time I go, okay, yeah, someone just kind of scribble some stuff on mm-hmm. a canvas. There's not much of a dialogue there. And by dialogue, I mean there's not a conversation. Yes. I'm not standing there, unless the artist is there and I'll have the Mm -hmm. conversation, but that medium doesn't allow itself to have a dialogue or or a conversation. A book is almost the same way. If it's a standalone book, you're being told what to see, think, hear, taste, touch, feel, Mm -hmm. and there's no dialogue. But nowadays, Mm -hmm. because of, and I know everyone blames this as like the catch-all social media because of social media and everyone's saying oh hashtag us so we get trending and we can talk about it you kind of open yourself up to you it. do where now you have people making petitions petitions now you have people making petitions saying oh remake the entire last season that's not how it mm-hmm. works just because it didn't end the way you want it doesn't mean you can change yeah, it. you can't walk into an art gallery and be like this purple yeah get, why get this purple out Ugh. of here no and i mean don't get me wrong i didn't really like the uh, the last episode but at the same time, I watched the first two seasons and a last episode. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I don't have much room to talk, and it, and also I don't feel like I was betrayed like everyone else. But it did make me sit there and go, "Ooh, do I want to watch six seasons of this is how it ends?" So there is that. Mm-hmm. But it's not a dialogue. You're not speaking with the creators just mm-hmm. because you can tweet at them and they're going to ignore you mm-hmm. doesn't mean you have any right to change the ending. That being said, why the fuck are we talking about fanfic? Because that's basically what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of bring that full circle there. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. That's kind of my... Well, that's my question. So we have fanfic, which is almost a dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. So what? where the hell do we stand on that? That's weird. Mm. Well, I, I think fanfiction has its... Well, we talk about like headcanon yeah. and things that fanfiction writes and it becomes accepted into yeah. the, the actual canon. I mean that's that's one thing, but mm-hmm. when you're demanding that the yes. actual thing be changed, and yes. you want it to be thrown out. It's like, well, if you're so upset about it, make something better. Yeah, it's a, you, that's what George what, said. What do you got? Yeah, what you got? I almost I also feel like they shot themselves in the foot waiting the whole year for the final season mm-hmm. because you remember when you were a kid or maybe this is just me. <laughs> I liked that I liked that anticipation. No, it's so in demand. Now. No, but it's that. it's like when you, when you're a kid and your mom's like. We're going to throw you a birthday party. And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, what's going to be in the birthday party? And they're like, it's a surprise. Oh and if, if she said that a week before the birthday party, you're like, okay, sweet. You're going to go to the birthday party. You're going to be pretty happy. She says that a month before the birthday party, you have four weeks mm-hmm. to just let that brew. Yeah, and what first turned into like a four person party and like maybe some fun stuff, yeah, sure. balloon, like just yeah. balloons into like a clown and elephants and fucking rockets and David Bowie's there on mm-hmm. a unicorn. Yep. And you're like, Oh, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. And it never ends up that way. And you're always disappointed. Yeah. Uh, my, I mean, my, my philosophy is the Malcolm in the middle philosophy, which is I expect nothing and I'm still let down. <laughs> sure. uh, that's me personally. Yeah. yeah. But I almost feel like they shot themselves in the foot yeah, by doing it, that because everyone's like, oh, my God, these past six, mm-hmm. maybe seven mm-hmm. seasons have been amazing. Or any of the 
mistakes or things we haven't liked from season seven are going to pay off. Resolved, yes. Yeah, they're going to be resolved. Yeah. And then it it's almost feels the like... It's the hype train. It is, yeah. You, it's, you ha- at some point, you have to walk away from it. And a show specifically like Game of Thrones, which is so yeah. uh, you know railing against conventions mm-hmm. and unexpected and surprising... Stories, when stories end, there's only so many ways it goes. Do you think There's only so many dead ends you can hit. Oh, yeah. So when you get one of those predictable ones, it's going to make a lot of people upset. When it comes to TV culture, or like TV in general, do you think the fact that binging is so common now might have also adversely affected Game of Thrones? Hmm. You know what I mean? What do you you mean? Well, when you binge something, you can just watch it really quick, and you're taking in the information without having much time to process or think about it. Sure. So, for example, if you want to watch Supernatural, you binge it. You get it all at once, cool. Mm-hmm. Season's over. You got to wait till next one, and then you can start speculating. But you're not speculating seasons one to thirteen. Yeah, you know you are. It's it's a fully curated experience. Exactly, and you're instead, not questioning anything. Yeah, and now that we have this this system, this culture where, oh, tweet about us. Mm-hmm. Oh, tell us what you thought in the comments. Tell you know where it is more of a dialogue or a conversation, mm-hmm. and it's. You know, a lot of people prefer to binge nowadays where mm-hmm. that leaves no time for conversation until the very end. So here we have Game of Thrones, which is set in this old medium where you wait week to week, season to season, mm-hmm. which is totally fine. I actually prefer that because I like that anticipation. Yeah. Waiting a week for Doom Patrol is awesome. Because I'm like, oh, I can't wait. Mm-hmm. It, it makes me more excited when I sit down to watch it. It makes it more special. It does. And so with it builds Game of, a better relationship with it. I think so. Sure. But with Game of Thrones, we have all these people who are used to binging now. Mm-hmm. Everyone is. It's not just our generation. Everyone likes mm-hmm. binging now. You have a group of people who are used to binging, who like to just consume all of it at once and not leave themselves time for, for the dialogue. Mm-hmm. So now you're waiting week to week. You had a whole year to think about it yeah. and trust that the showrunners were doing something that you deemed acceptable sure. because your opinion matters so much. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, I'm not talking down anyone, but I'm saying like Yes, you have a right to be upset about it, but at the same time, you're not the showrunner. Mm-hmm. There's a reason you're not. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you you wait the entire year. First episode comes out. Everyone liked the first episode. Yeah, it was one, good. They were like, oh, yeah. I like where this is going. Mm-hmm. Setting the stage. And then around. There were some lunatics who were sounding the alarm, right? Like, up, oh, this is terrible. Yeah. And then right around episode three, everyone starts to doubt it. Mm-hmm. Then then the, it goes over the freaking Exactly. And especially when you see everyone else thinking something. Now, you start thinking that because we're human beings mm-hmm. and that's what you do. You take cues from other people. It fanatical. And it almost like snowballs into this thing where like everybody hates everyone it. Everyone despises it. And if you don't like it, what the hell's wrong with mm-hmm. you, dude? Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't watch Game of Thrones? Fuck you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how it felt for a while after not watching <laughs> Game of Thrones. <laughs> Absolutely. But... You get what I'm saying? Like, it, it seems like it was a recipe for disaster. No one was going to be happy anyways. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And definitely, especially if you, like, binge it, you yeah. get so, you know, you get so, like, into that thought. You have so many expectations. You're like, okay, this is exactly how it goes. This is, mm-hmm. I understand the pattern. And then when they try to do something different, you know, maybe, you know, they, again, I don't think they did things in the right way. But if you try to do something different like that at the end, then it's, you know, you can't be blamed for doing something different. Yeah. And, and then, but it, they're, someone's so ingrained in the yeah. way it was before. Like, and and yeah. we do always shit on him on, on this show. But I will say George R. R. Martin said something that I think is fantastic, and mm-hmm. I hope he sticks with it. Mm-hmm. Which is, if you're writing a mystery novel, and from the very beginning you intended that the butler did it, but you get halfway through writing it, and you start looking at message boards, and you read that someone figures out that the butler did it. And you say, oh, well, I don't want everyone to figure it out. I'll make the maid do it. Mm -hmm. Now you have half of a story that's set up for the butler to have done it. 
And now you have another half where you have to resolve that setup and set up a brand new person. In the background, sure. It's never going to be right. It's not going to be good. So he says he doesn't read message boards. Mm -hmm. There's no way he can avoid the fact that people hate that brand's the king. Mm -hmm. However, I'm hoping he stays with his original Uh, Sure, I think the way he's going to do it is just a lot a lot better. A lot cleaner. He's going to have two full novels that are 180,000, 200,000 word manuscripts mm-hmm. apiece. Mm-hmm. He's going to do it the that's, way he and wanted that's what, to. That's what takes he such a long time. time is because yeah. now you know why it's taking such a long time because here's the ending and where it left off. Yeah. There's a lot of work that needs to be done yeah. to get to that ending in a satisfying way. And it's so difficult. That's what he's connecting. He's you know untangling yes. this knot. That's, Hundreds of characters so, he's created. So that's why it's taking him so long. And we can now we can now appreciate when those yeah. books come out they're, they're probably going to be very thoughtful yeah and remember how I said the thing about Marvel's making movies for mm-hmm. non-comic book you know mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Um, I'll just say it again for people who, who haven't heard the other episodes where I, have you I, been where have you been go back and listen to the last like three but I made the the observation that it seems like the MCU movies the Marvel movies are movies made for moviegoers about comic book characters and I feel like the DC movies are movies made for comic book readers but not for moviegoers. Mm-hmm. And, and this isn't a, oh, Rick and Morty, you have to have an eighth-level intellect to understand it. I'm just saying I know a lot of people who love the comics that like DC movies and don't like the Marvel movies as and much. Vice versa. Vice versa, which is totally fine. But why I'm saying that is I feel like they're different mediums. Mm-hmm. And so you're trying to adapt one to another. What I think Game of Thrones might have done successfully, at least in the first four to six seasons— mm-hmm is they almost directly adapted the books, from what I know, sure. into the television. Yeah, and a couple characters, it somehow sure. paid off that people liked it. Mm-hmm. People enjoyed the fact that the single book was a whole entire season for the first season. I also think that it their success was also their downfall. Because as I said earlier, like they knew what people wanted. Yeah. They wanted the Lannisters yeah. conniving. They wanted Tyrion's brilliance. They wanted mm-hmm. Jon's heroism. They wanted all this stuff. But they, they didn't, you know, it was going to be a tough sell to yeah. do wargs and people yeah. going into monsters and ice kings and all this stuff. So what ended up being their, their kind of selling card and their strength in the beginning is what ultimately killed the end. Yes. Because they went one whole direction and that just wasn't the actual story. That's exactly. not how it's going. So I, I would definitely like to see them try the whole almost, mm-hmm. you know word-for-word word adaptation of a book to a TV show. Like, mm-hmm. it seemed like it, they did for the well, first they few did seasons. They actually did that with Les Mis. They did, they're doing did they? a, um, a limited series. And okay. it's, it's not a musical, because it's based on a book. It's yeah. Based on the musical. What is that? Um, Hugo... Is that the guy's name? His name is Hugo something. Yeah. Um, I was going to yeah. say Weaving, but I know that's not it. <laughs> he went back in time. He was Red Skull. And he wrote Les He actually went back in time in The Matrix and wrote it. But Oh, true. He's in The Matrix. Yeah, he's in all The Matrix. Yeah, he's in everything. Really. But, yeah, to, I mean, to relate this back to fan fiction, it is kind of... It is... Because in fan fiction, none of this is trying to discredit or discard what the original work was. Some people may like, here's my yeah. take on it. Yeah. But the reason you do this is because you have such respect. It's not like you yeah. hate it. No. Or it I, needs to you're be You're not going to write a fanfic on something you don't like. You're not going to take that much time no. to write 900,000 words exactly. if you don't love Smash Bros. Yes. Exactly. So I, I think to, when you're talking about where we fall on this, yeah, thing, where I, think, we fall? I think it is. I think it is just a little different. Like I, it's fine to be discontent with something and how it ends and you want to do it your own way. Um, but to just you know demand that it be changed? No, it is. That's it. That's it. If you didn't like the finale, then maybe you don't like Game of Thrones. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's, and that's totally okay to not like it. Yeah, and it's and, also and it's please okay like to... just like, yeah, just don't 
just don't throw away all the other stuff that was yeah. so great about it because no. there's so many characters and their struggles it. and yeah. that end was just one end throughout the story there are many ends there's many arcs like that's just one that's like end. that's like watching someone from birth to death who was like a great warrior from ancient greece and then they die around their grandchildren and you're like oh what a terrible ending they didn't go out murdering a lion and yeah. it's like on a wimp all the other cool stuff still happened still happened you, but there's you no still peril because they didn't actually die i need stakes yeah sometimes that doesn't happen yeah sometimes you expect a gigantic climax and neil gaiman writes someone telling everyone to go home and they do mm-hmm. sometimes that's just happens. not fan fiction not everything climaxes at the same time yeah, exactly not everyone cl- <laughs> not like fan fiction. not everyone climaxes at the exact same okay. time so that that was my opening topic. I, I've been waiting to hear Ryan's real perspective on Your it. Opening so you, you didn't like the entire season, no, but you liked the final episode. I did did you like the fact that it's basically a representative? It's not representative, um, an electoral college. Oh, how they kind of they're just basically nominate. just an electoral college. Yeah, but there's I mean there's no the people don't get they don't get to elect the people who then elect those are they're just I mean yeah the yeah. houses just exist it's uh, the house of lords it's fair I like there's a part where he says we should have a democracy uh, Sam yeah Sam we have a democracy Sam and they all laugh it off I think that's a funny yeah. nod to like the, you, is that how you thought this was going to end because yeah. that's a little too too much that's yeah. too much and for that's this a, universe in, in reality when you are not a lord or a Lannister. You want to have that say and that democracy, but when you're watching Game of Thrones, you want someone to rule with a fucking iron fist. Mm. <laughs> you want Jon Snow to come in and rule the eight kingdoms. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah it's funny. It's, yeah. it's what everybody, uh, what they outwardly say and what they inwardly want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They want Everyone their king. Wants that they want to call their king power. daddy. Yeah. yeah. It's Papa, all kind like yeah, yeah, yeah. some psycho level that I'm not smart enough to understand. Yeah, I will never understand that. Did you like... Brian riding Jamie's a skank ass bitch. His, <laughs> go back a, to your sister's skank again, ass puss. Good, a good meme, but that I mean that was such a great ending to that arc. Like you know, he may have scorned her, and, and but yeah. she just has so much honor, and she has so much respect for the truth as as she comes over the, the course of the series to understand mm-hmm. he does. Beautiful ending for those two characters. You, okay, you like that? Very beautiful. Did you like the stories? Did you like the stories? Or they're sitting to, around the to, fire? We have to, no, we have to pick the king with the best story. <laughs> That seems like a really flowy ending that yeah. I, I would love, and I do love it because it is so like, oh, the best story, Brand the Broken. What unites us? Stories. Yeah. yeah. It's actually who is going to be the most checked out king so that our board can rule. So maybe Tyrion played the game the whole time, and he's technically king. He's he hand, technically king. He's hand to a king that can't use his legs. That's a <laughs> so <laughs> good thing he's not foot to the king, I guess. Mm-hmm. Man. Yeah, I don't. I think you just cracked it wide open. Did you like bust it wide open? I'm not gonna lie. I knew it was gonna happen, but it also felt like in Solo where they say, "What's your last name?" and he goes, "I don't have one." And they go, "Solo." When uh, <laughs> Samuel hands the book over and it says, "A Song of Ice and Fire," and yeah. you just you pull one of the South Parks. Fuck you! Well, I, I told you, like like I said, Fuck there's you. only so many ways the story can end, and everybody yeah, knew Sam. Sam didn't actually write it; he transcribed it. Some uh, one of the other maesters wrote it. Everyone knew Sam was going to have a part in writing the Song of Ice and Fire had to exist. But yeah. when it happened, everyone was so upset about it. It's like you were just hyped about this, and because it didn't happen yeah. the way you wanted it to, now you're upset. Yeah, and because, like you said, everyone is it's so popular now to criticize it. Mm-hmm. Let's hop on that too. Yeah, everyone wants to hop on the the criticized train. It's hard to be. It's hard to be earnest out there. Yeah, it's hard to be honest. Perks of being earnest. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, what story do you have for us? Today? Um, today I have today. Um, it is the fandom is the Chronicles of Narnia and it's it a Chronic is, What Hills of Narnia. Narnia. Whoop, whoop, whoop. 
chronic what cools an Narnia? And it's told it's Anthony Bourdain right, <laughs> of um, you know of no reservations of without I do borders, know no reservations. Fame, you know, if you don't know Anthony Bourdain, he's like he was a chef and he wrote a very popular book, and then he got started getting his own TV show where he would travel the world and eat like very weird foods, and it was mostly him going around with the culture. Mm-hmm. He actually did. Um, Without Borders, I believe it was, in New York City. And it's on Netflix. It's really good. Um, he also has a graphic novel. Does he have a graphic novel? Yeah. I did not know that. I'm fairly certain it's him. <laughs> but he's, uh, yeah, he's like kind of this like, um, he's like if like Indiana Jones was a chef. And instead of like going <laughs> that's and a looking. Good, that's a good ana- like analogy. For artifacts, he looks yeah, for like looks weird for food. foods. and It's different. not it's not uh, bizarre foods with, was it Andrew Zimmern? Yeah, Where it's, he, it's he, not like I'm gonna eat this yeah, uh, toad. Yeah, yeah, he like he like walks into a village and he's like, "What's the weirdest testicle you can give me?" Mm-hmm. And they're like, uh, uh, "Frog testicle." And he's like, "Give it to me. Yeah, and I'll eat it." And he's like, "Let me sit in this hut with you, and yeah. we'll smoke this like really dangerous yeah. drug, and you'll tell me about your life." And and then we'll also let ants pick the dirt off of us mm-hmm. as we do it. So he's he's he drinks a lot of alcohol. He obviously. Um, he recently passed away. He mm-hmm. has, you know, had had some mental um, depression, you know, some issues there. Um, really sad. But he had this wonderful life where he kind of like connected a lot of people, and he, you know, did a lot of journalism in, in the culinary world. So he's like a culinary anthropologist. If oh that's wow, a thing. that's just a cultural anthropologist. Okay. There are actually people that specialize in food, though. So he's not trained or anything. He's he's no, a TV yeah. personality. Yeah. but I think some of what he does is kind of in. No, the good. Way. I mean, it, I mean. Anyone will tell you the Human best. Interest kind no, of the, the best way to learn about someone or learn about a group of people is to not have a meal with them. If you if you go to someone and say, "Cook me your favorite meal," and I want to watch you cook it, and let's talk, mm-hmm. you're going to learn so much about them in an hour, two hours. Yeah, so much of so much of like who you are, and if you have mm-hmm. like a family or whatever you consider your 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 center, your culture revolves around food. Yeah, and even if it's like the lack of a quick, like a sit down meal, yeah. it is that that just informs how you value things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, one of so the yeah, one of the fastest ways to get in with an in group is eat with them mm-hmm. for for anthropology. Hmm. Uh, it's not the best, you know. I mean, it's not the fastest, but it's one of. It's a good technique. Is if you want to gain someone's trust, cook cook for them, cook mm-hmm. with them, uh, go get a meal and sit down with them, and you just stop. You, your guard isn't up. You're mm-hmm. more relaxed. And you get very honest answers. You, you get very honest It's like questions. you're trying to tame a wild animal. You put food out for it. And like, Basically. It comes up and starts eating, and then you can approach it. We yeah. are no better than wild animals, I mean, is that's what I'm saying. At the core, it's what we are. So this yes. is Anthony Bourdain, and he's going to Narnia. He's doing a No Reservations <laughs> episode in the mythical land of Narnia. Alex, you like Narnia. I love Narnia. What is Narnia? Real quick. The chronic what calls of Narnia. Yeah. So C.S. Lewis was actually very good friends with J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis was a born-again Christian. Mm-hmm. The author of the Narnia books, and he wrote Narnia's two, four, five, six, seven, and then one and three. Right? Mm-hmm, is that mm-hmm. is that the order? Mm-hmm. The yeah. He went back. Like you told me he went back. And yeah, wrote he went back and nephew. wrote them, didn't he? Uh, and so the first one's called the Magician's Nephew, which is basically like the origin story. It's the Genesis, if you will, uh, from the, the Bible. Gritty, the gritty origin. Genesis. I love Magician's Nephew. Very good. I think that's a great book. Yep. The second one is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The one that movie was That movie was great. Good movie. Have you ever seen the BBC versions from the 70s? No. Really weird. (laughs) Not going to lie, they're weird. The... The one that was recently made was... I thought it was great. Yeah. Uh, I remember, not I remember, recently, but it's probably been like 15 years. I remember years, it was but. like that thing. It was like that summer it came out, like all the church groups were oh, like yeah. going to see it. I, yeah. It was, it was like high fantasy, kids, yes. action adventure. It, it was well done. Yeah. And Aslan is obviously a... Um, 
a Christ figure. Mm-hmm. I mean, Aslan is the kind of the lion. lion. Yes, but he's the a crea- he's a creator oh, lion. He mm-hmm. helps create these realms. There's the white bitch, white witch who tempts Edward. Is that the boy's name? Ed- yes, with Turkish delight. Turkish delight. Edmure. I was going to ask Edmure. That is. Then there's Lucy. There's uh, what are the other kids' names? They're not in the story. They're not in the story. It's been a while. But so Narnia this, is basically well the, because because those are they're like these children who go to live with their relative. It's it's during World War Two. Mm-hmm. They're not. They don't want to get bombed. They leave so the, they, the Blitzkrieg, right? Yes. So they go out into the countryside, and then they go through a magical wardrobe, mm-hmm. which trans. They go push through all these codes, and they're transported to this magical world. So Anthony Bourdain, he's not. Ta- they're outsiders essentially. He's he's here. He's on the ground talking with the the denizens ah, of Narnia. He's getting he's to, to know the culture. Their culture exactly. You know that James McAvoy played. Mr. Tumnus, Mr. Tumnus the yes. fawn. Yep. Yeah, that's been a long time since I thought of Mr. Tumnus. I'm surprised I remember the name. Yeah, good for you, man. Yeah. He's also not in the story, which is pretty shocking. Uh, so we just we're set in Narnia, but we are not meeting any of the familiar faces. We are meeting the familiar faces to to the book. I mean, there's there's some characters in here like mice and moles and things that have names from the books and everything. Okay. So this is more based off the books, I would say, than so the movies. No, no, no. I mean, I'm I'm talking about the books too. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Narnia, uh, I mean, it has its own continent. It, it is it is very high fantasy. He was very inspired by J.R.R. Tolkien. Well, they, they shared an office. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, they, there's a continent. Horse and his boy takes place in another part. And A lot just, of ties to um, Game of Thrones, too. You talk about that. Yeah. It's like an Essos where the, where he grows up, like a desert mm-hmm. kind of uh, Far East-inspired continent. Yeah, well, I mean, George R. R. Martin has been called the J.R.R. Tolkien of America. Some people actually call him that. Oh, yeah. Well, we've already talked about this. The RR is just one big branding yeah. thing. Yeah. If you want to be a fantasy writer, have the middle initials, mm-hmm. RR. If I did that, my, would be, my initials would be RRR. RRRR. RRRR. You know, JRR Tolkien stands for Jolkin, Rolkin, Rolkin, Tolkien. Jokin, Rolkin, and Rolling. They're like, just do RR. Yeah, just do RR. Just RR. Okay, so. We're Anthony Bourdain, and we're going into Narnia, yes. and our, uh, it, it's very medieval inspired. I guess we can say that too. There's magic involved, yes, some magical some creatures. Magic. All, all, yeah, all the creatures. There are minotaurs. Talk, yeah. There are centaurs. Mm-hmm. There werewolves are werewolves, vampires, yeah, I mean, and all this. I don't stuff, know yeah. if there's werewolves and vampires, but there are werewolves. Are there? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I don't know if there's vampires. They appear so. in the story. Oh, okay. the werewolves. There you go. Um, and I mean, they have a me- medieval feudal system mm-hmm. and kings, queens, all yeah, like. very high fantasy. And no reservation is. It's like a documentary where Anthony Bourdain, he talks a lot about, like, his cameraman and, like, his producer. It's, like, a very self-aware. It's just, like, mm-hmm. the show is is part of it. Like, the people who create the show are part of it. Like, he's going on these adventures and he talks about his producer. So they have some of the names also thrown into this. Okay, that's um, cool. So it's written much like, he also write, wrote columns. He would write, like, long, yeah. like, columns for travel and food. So this this reads a lot like that. Okay, cool. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Shall we get it? Let's just get this. All right. No Reservations, Narnia. You find this on fanfic.net. I'm crammed into a burrow so small that my knees are up around my ears, and the boom mic keeps slamming into my head, <laughs> inhaling the potent scent of toffee, toffee apple brandy and trying to drink a talking mouse under the table. But is it really the boom mic that's making my head pound? I know for sure that my cameraman doesn't usually have two heads. I have to face facts. This mouse is winning. <laughs> Yesterday, I thought I knew what to expect from Narnia. Good, solid English cooking spiced up with the odd, unusual ingredient, and good, solid English people spiced up with the odd fawn and centaur and talking animal. I've longed to visit Narnia when I was a kid, but every time the notoriously capricious entry requirements, such as the bizarre and arbitrary lifetime limit on visits, relaxed the slightest bit, 
it would get invaded, get conquered, get reconquered by the original rulers, or get hit by some natural disaster. The hundred-year winter put the kibosh on the one time my parents even considered it. <laughs> when, by some bureaucratic miracle, my crew and I were permitted entry, I wondered if I was too old and jaded for Narnia. Maybe I'd been too old and jaded by the time I was twelve. Narnia is supposed to be a land of clean living and old-fashioned values, where men and women are men and women, and you have to go to Cowerman to find anything more spicy than mulled wine. Not my kind of place, really. <laughs> um, so he drops into Narnia, like they all like drop out of a helicopter or something. It's not really clear. They kind of get magically, <laughs> okay. magically transported. Yes, and his crew falls into snow, and he falls into the freezing river, and. Quote, the pocket of hash I'd stashed in my hip pocket floats upward, is seized by the current, and merrily whirls away. I make a grab for it, miss, and fall on my ass. When I stand up, drenched from head to toe, I see that my crew had been th thoughtfully deposited in a neighboring snowfield. The river, apparently, was a treat reserved just for me. So he thought he'd bring a little pot into Narnia, yes. but fell out of his pocket. Darn. Bro, you don't need that. There's already magical creatures running around. <laughs> Uh, they talk about, wow, it's so beautiful. The light is amazing. The cameraman, his name is Alan, really takes it in. He says, Anthony Bourdain writes, I stamp my feet. I stamp my rapidly numbing feet and watch a robin take flight from a snowy fur. It is perfect. Too perfect. Everything is as neat and clean as if it was just unpacked from toys reversed their fucking letters. Got good food needs a little mess, a little dirt, a little sweat. Does this look like the place where anyone sweats or swears? I bet the food is mass-produced plastic and the booze is non-alcoholic swill. I bet the inns are all called ye old crap something, I bet. And then, while he's being kind of down on mm -hmm. Narnia, saying it's this, this is not the gritty Definitely real place he wants. On yep. This isn't like a village in Tibet where people yeah. pick their food off the ground. And that's what he looks for. Um, he comes across a small mouse. And it costs them. And he says, Lout, draw your sword, you twittering knave, and I'll prove upon your body the quality of Narnia people. Narnian inns, Narnian food, and Narnian wine. Is this Despero? No. Did you ever read that book? Yes, I did. <laughs> the Tale of Despero, <laughs> yep. not in the Narnia universe. Damn. I look down. My challenger is a mouse, a two-foot mouse, a talking mouse. He wears a golden circlet Bet with you a red fight leather. pussy. <laughs> and a belt from which dangles a very small sword. The effect is old-fashioned and dashing, like a World War One aviator. Oh, um, sick. He realizes that he's been just sitting here bashing um, this place's, this, this mouse's land. And he says, I see myself as the mouse must see me. A blundering asshole insulting his country for no reason other than I'm cold and pissed off. I squat on my heels, putting myself at eye level with the mouse. Now that his sword is at my throat, it makes me feel better than when it was at my gonads. Because it was like pointing mm -hmm. his knife. As said. Um, so he you know, says, I'm sorry, I'm just a stupid tourist. And the mouse says, okay, you know, you know that's fine. You have the air of a man who enjoys a challenge. And he says, I guess I, I, I suppose I do. Um, the mouse challenges him to a fight. He says, I'm obviously going to crush you. I'm a human being. And the mouse stares at me, narrow-eyed. I have fought men before. I've seen that look before. On the faces of drunken, hopped-up chefs and sous-chefs and girlfriends, right before the cops come and haul them away. I probably could have seen it in the mirror, too, except I was too busy committing mayhem at any time to look into one. It's not a look which can be argued away, but it is one that can sometimes be defeated. So he challenges the mouse to a thumb wrestling match <laughs> where the mouse uses his whole body and Anthony Bourdain uses his thumb. Mm -hmm. um, he eventually wins because the mouse is just unfamiliar with the uh, logistics of uh, thumb wrestling. Makes sense. Um, well thought, says the mouse. I yield. And um, so now the, 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 the uh, terms of the wager were if Anthony Bourdain won, he would the mouse would buy him a drink and vice versa. Mm -hmm. um, the mold wine. The, the mold wine. The mice bows to me. I am Reepicheep. Chief of the Talking Mice. May I ask your name and your purpose in Narnia? 
And Anthony says, I'm Anthony Bourdain, and I travel the world, worlds, eating good food, drinking good liquor, and having a good time and talking about it, and alternately freezing to death at the moment. The Reaper Sheep says that he is remiss, and that you are a visitor on my land. He raises a lordly hand and says, come with me. So he remembers his manners, and he takes him to his humble abode. Very nice. Um, so what I also what I like about this is it's split into three segments where he goes to different places and mm-hmm. he just really describes the interior and then the food and kind of their customs and like how they all treat him as an outsider and they share stories. So Reepicheep, um, who I think is a character. Reepicheep? Reepicheep. Ar- I don't remember that character, but it's been a while. Yeah, again, it's been a while for me. If anyone massive Narnia fans out there, big Reepicheep stands, spell that? send me a message. R-E-E-P-I-C-H-E-E-P. Oh, God, I think it is actually a character. Uh, they all are characters. Reba Cheap is a character. Reba Cheap is from Prince Caspian. Mm. Okay. Okay. He's a major character in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. <laughs> there you go. He's also briefly at the end of The Last Battle, which is the seventh book. Hmm. Shows how much we know. There we go. Yeah. I mean, uh, to be fair, it's been... Did some time. Literally, probably over twelve years. Do you know? Uh, so he, uh, Reaper Cheap takes him to his home. Um, is a, it takes him to a tree with re- which the mouse knocks on. A narrow section of the bark slides away like a shoji screen, and a large mole peers out. Its pinprick eyes blinking behind wire-rimmed glasses. That's very descriptive. That's very nice. Hello, Reaper Cheap. The mouse. The mole's gravelly. Is that Rick? Yes. It's Digwell. And he says that the gravelly voice reminds him of his old friend Beth the Grill Bitch. I don't know who that is. The Grill Bitch? Yeah. Anthony Bourdain knows says Beth somebody, the Grill Bitch. He knows somebody named Beth. It might be a reference to another episode. Beth the Grill Bitch. Yes. A lot of research being done for this episode. Beth um, the Grill <laughs> the, uh, He says, thank you for letting me in. He says, it's no bother. I hope you like um, the dish I'm about to prepare for you, Pavander, which is a, a, a mythical fish in this world. She leads us into the tree, which turns out to be a sort of vestibule for a burrow. The latter is tastefully decorated with framed paintings and pebble mosaics. Walk into the combined kitchen dining room, where I find the moles pouring shots of dark brown liquor for Reepicheep, two hedgehogs, a rat, beaver, and my crew. I sit and accept a a glass of sweet-smelling alcohol, trying not to smack my head on the rafters or jab my elbows into the hedgehogs. Home-brewed toffee apple brandy, said Moldescoop, which is a... One of the hedgehogs, with a brewer's pride, raises his glass. Tenarnia! Tenarnia! I echo and knock it off. Needless to say, it's some pretty powerful stuff that <laughs> it's magical. Is not ready for. So Beth the Grill Bitch is a real person. Her Twitter handle is grillbitch007. <laughs> at grillbitch007. <laughs> One of the delightful people that Anthony met on his travels, I assume. Do we have an audio file so I know how to do the voice? It's not just Rick. Oh, who? the oh. Beth. Oh, wait. Beth is supposed to be Rick? No, 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 that's, no, oh. no, the, it's a growly, now it's too confusing because Beth's an actual character. Yeah, right? Beth's a real person. This character has a voice that's reminiscent of this character, Anthony Beth. Bourdain, quote, I put aside my psychotic rage after many years of being awful to cooks. <laughs> okay, I guess Beth is involved in that. I, oh, he, he briefly owned a restaurant, and all chefs are absolutely insane, so maybe they knew each other from then. She was like the grill master of his restaurant. No, she was maybe. the grill bitch. The grill bitch. She was the grill. restaurant, sure, yes. Um, so they make fish and potatoes. and but that's d- good. D- it is pretty good. Let me see how he explains it. Um, there's talk about he's like in the kitchen. He's Again, mm-hmm. he's making, he's preparing the food with them. Reaper Cheap and the hedgehogs are party animals, drinking the brandy and ale as boilermakers and playing mubble peg with small, sharp knives. I think that's the game like mm-hmm. where you go around and yeah. don't stab your fingers. Well, I join them with the boilmakers. I pass on the mobile tea peg. The moles discuss Narnian food ways. 
they talk about how everything in Narnia is sourced and it depends on where you are, how the dishes are going to taste. Butter doesn't taste everywhere and the same as in Narnia. <laughs> it says this is, uh, the butter here is white. It has only the faintest scent of hay and snowdrops. In summer, when the cows go out of the pastures in the fields of buttercups, the butter is yellow as mustard bloom and you can taste the flowers. Um, where and when food is produced makes an enormous difference in its flavor. If you took those two cows to different parts of Narnia, even if you still pastured them on buttercups, the butter wouldn't taste exactly the same. So he's all about going to the farmer's market and finding your own ish. Honestly, can I say this is extremely well written? <laughs> like, this it? sounds like a food blog. Yeah, it's, maybe this person really likes food. No, this is, really I, food. I think this is extremely well written at the moment. This is really good. Um, so they're sitting around waiting for the, the meal to end. The beaver um, nudges him and says, Tony, you said you like unusual traditional food. Tomorrow I should take you to visit the Marsh Wiggles. <laughs> the Marsh Wiggles? The Marsh Wiggles. And he says, what's their food like? I ask. The beaver and Reepicheep glance at each other. Traditional, says Reepicheep. Okay. Wet, says Digwell, the mole. I believe their specialty is eel stew. And then Anthony says, I love matelas d'anguille. A French dish of eels and red wine with shallots. A Cornish eel soup with mace and cream. I can't wait. Finally, the food is done. The uh, mold, mold the scoop comes over and prevents, presents everyone with a round brown dumpling like a baked chia subao. I cut into mine. The scent of lemon and brown sugar rises up in a cloud of steam, and a caramel sauce runs out and pools around the pastry. It's a rich dessert, perilously close to heavy, but the toffee apple brandy cuts through the sweetness and enriches the citrus notes. We all have several more shots. <laughs> I'm getting hungry. I really this. am. We just had pizza, but starving. I could go eat some fish and potatoes <laughs> right now, honestly. So now um, they're saying, "Okay, well, we'll take you to the. I'll take you to the uh, Marsh Wiggles tomorrow. The Marsh um, Wiggles." And as they're finishing up their meal, Reaper Cheap says, "Tony," with a gleam of challenge in his eye. It is my belief that the capacity of a mouse is no less than the capacity of a man. Will you match me, drink for drink? I salute him with my shot glass. Soon I'm in disgraceful state, seeing double, barely able to get the glass to my lips. As my face slowly descends toward the table, I see Reepicheep reflected in a pool of brandy. A touch glassy-eyed, but upright, small and triumphant. He blacks out. He gets drunk under the table by Reepicheep, everyone's favorite hero mouse. Besides Despero. Despero, yeah. I was gonna say, don't and, forget and all the characters of Redwall, my favorite fantasy story. I don't know what that is. Oh, don't look at me like that. Um... The next morning, I do not feel like visiting the Marsh Wiggles. I don't feel like doing anything but lying still. I'm not going to take that name seriously this entire time, just so you know. Anthony Bourdain does not feel like visiting the Marsh Wiggles. <laughs> I don't feel like doing anything but lying still, per preferably with a cold cloth over my eyes and a cool glass of the hair of the dog that bit me close at hand. Instead, I'm woken up at the crack of dawn by the beaver, whose name is Alderwood. After a quick but excellent breakfast of bacon, eggs, kippers, black pudding, sausage, and bread all fried together in a huge cast iron pan, we reluctantly head out and trudge through miles and miles of snow. Um, so they eventually Even reach... the breakfast sounds amazing. Oh, my God. Just a nice, hearty English yeah. breakfast. Um, uh, you're welcome, English fans. <laughs> perfect uh, perfect hangover cure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, in a marsh, they come across Weed Woe, who is like a marsh... Enchantress or something. She's I'm like going to picture of... Lil Wayne. Okay. Weed well. Weed well. Weed oh, weed oh, Like a cop car. So basically, while they're walking, Weed well asks, why in the world would you want Marsh Wiggle food? Because it's very wet and gross. I've decided I'm not taking any of the names seriously from this point on. Weedwell says of the Marsh Wiggles, nothing I can do to stop you. <laughs> the Marsh Wiggles. You needn't take more than a bite or two of the food, though. I'll say 
you needn't take a single bite, but I expect you'll want to keep up appearances or something. That's a good point. Weedwell leads them to a, quote, domed building of what appears to be rotting wood. Anthony says, as I stand outside trying to in vain to wipe mud and slime across my shoes, I realize that the structure is sound and the mildew is decorative, that the shades are limited, were only limited to greens and grays. The mold was able to depict with skill and wit a scene of marsh wiggles fishing and cleaning their catch. Are mildew murals a traditional art, I ask? How is it done? At too high a cost, said Wee Woo. Weed woe, darkly, as it Wayne. Lil Wayne said darkly. <laughs> we woe. <laughs> we woe. The whole place will be done. <laughs> the whole place will be done around our ears one day. Probably I hear the rotten timbers creaking now. To my relief, it's warm inside. Uh, it's a greenish light reminiscent of day old eggs benedict, packaged pistachio pudding, and other unappetizing things. Wait, they have packaging for pistachio pudding? He's talking pudding. about the light packaged pistachio pudding like something you'd get from the store okay nothing that you'd make fresh with your own anthony bourdain hands i got you um five or six marsh wiggles glance up from a wooden table each has a pint mug by his or her hand and whatever they're drinking isn't necessarily cheering them up um and then he thinks of reaper cheap who set me up in a way that is undoubtedly bringing pure sweet joy to the cold shriveled heart of my producer sure enough tracy his producer is the only person in the room who looks happy Todd, one of his cameramen, sags as if wishing to sink through the floor and knocks over a tray of glowworms. Is Tracy also a grill bitch? <laughs> no, she is a TV producer. Oh, okay. Yeah, totally different okay. professions. She's a TV bitch. <laughs> she, she she grills him a lot, so maybe she is. She could be a grill bitch. Yeah, she's a grill master. Um, do, 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 do. They know, he notices that they're smoking, um, and he says, uh, they say, you know, you, you can't handle this. I bet you hate this. And he says, I, I do love to smoke. Can I bum a cigarette? And they say, you don't smoke a pipe, of course. When I snatch the pipe from his long greenish fingers, he makes a final try. All we have is marsh wiggle tobacco. It's repulsive to humans, no doubt. I light the pipe and suck down the smoke. It's rich and peaty, slightly acrid. The smoke doesn't rise, but instead descends from the pipe, drifts along the table, and pools around the mugs, taking a very long time to dissipate. I notice that the table has a raised rim, which catches the smoke and prevents it from sinking to the floor. So, like, this collecting this and pulling This is very on this descriptive. Table. It's amazing. This is really good. It's fantastic. One of the marsh wiggles takes out the, a jug of some dark liquid. Okay. And they pour it for him. And he said, huh? It's time for you to take a shot, Anthony. I take a sip of the liquid in the mug. It has no scent or taste and is slightly oily on the tongue, with an aftertaste hinting at green herbs and brine. Then an industrial refrigerator falls on my head, accompanied by a gas main explosion. If I wasn't a veteran of a thousand hangovers from vile concoctions like dirty schoolgirls and even, God help me, slippery nipples, which, in case you're wondering, is Bailey's Irish Cream and Sambuca in two lethal layers, I might have keeled over on the spot. As it is, it's a moment before I can speak. <coughs> What the hell am I drinking? I gasp. Terravita, said Weedwo. A mud... <laughs> Terravita. Terravita. Said Weedwo. That's ah. <laughs> mud of life. It's triple distilled from mud to potatoes with an infusion of duckweed and water cabbage. Do you think he's just pouring it on his Samsung to prove the Samsung won't, like, can get wet? <laughs> he's <laughs> yeah, just pouring yeah. the Terravita yeah. on the wow. Samsung? Wow, yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> water resistant. It's, um... Terravita resistant. Too much of it, though no one knows how much it will take, will make you go blind, like moonshine. I'm not surprised you don't like it. I want a contradictor, but like it's much too but like is much too mild of a word for this stuff. So is dislike. It's terrifying and tempting, like your very first line of coke laid out in a mirror, or, or a what? woman who says yes while you're still getting up the nerve to ask her. I take another sip. 
The second time is easier, but then isn't it always? Classic wow. Bourdain. Yeah. Classic Bourdain. Getting a little hint in his yeah. like crazy fear and loathing in Las Vegas life. Mm-hmm. Hitting us with some uh, some wisdom. So then they come out and they just schlomp um, something schlomp. on the Marsh Wiggles schlomp something right on the table. Um, Marsh Wiggle, Weed Woe, and Reaper Cheap <laughs> schlomp. And one of the characters is um, one of the Marsh Womps is named Cellar Dank. Celadank, Celadank, what's up? I haven't seen you in so long, Celadank. Oh, this um, cellar right here is dank. I call him Celadank. Okay, they, that sounded like a Lil Wayne lyric, by the way. <laughs> just so you know, I call him Celadank because he's hella dank. Ah, no, I think we're. It's it's a little Lil Wayne on my part, a little Matthew McConaughey. But <laughs> all right, all right, all right. All right. <laughs> um, okay, they, he uses plonking, plonking down terrines plonk, and pots on the table. Digwell wasn't kidding when she said Marshwiggle cuisine was wet. There isn't a single item that can't be poured. Mud potato porridge, said Weedwell, indicating a substance which looks, well, like... Let's be delicate and say mud. Mud potato mash, more of the same. To not be delicate, more of the same when you start feeling a little better but aren't entirely well yet. Boiled mud potato. That's what you get when you're back on your feet again. So a little more solid. Mm-hmm. You catch my drift. Poop. 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 And finally they lay out the eel stew and... The dish called dredge the pond. He says, what's that? A traditional recipe, replies Weedwell. You dredge the pond and boil whatever comes up. There's always mud potatoes, but the rest varies. You won't like it unless you like mud potatoes. And you won't like mud potatoes. I live for the moments when I put something that looks and sounds disgusting into my mouth, and it turns out to be sublime. That moment does not happen. The mud potatoes taste like badly rinsed potatoes. The fermented water reed has the mix, the texture of natto and the flavor of boiled cabbage. Dredge the pond tastes exactly like it sounds. The eel stew is surprisingly tasty, but the gritty, mysterious complexity of a fine gumbo, and I can't call it sublime. <laughs> um, so then they all sit back and they smoke. Um, he makes this interesting um, comment that the smoke has accumulated on the table and they can't see their bowls. I decide that this is deliberate, so no one can tell you're not finishing your water weed. So it's like, that's kind of like their courtesy. Mm-hmm. I have nothing to contribute, so I sit back and listen to these gloomy, taciturn, hard-bitten people sipping their knock-you-on-your-ass liquor and smoking their heavy tobacco. So they aren't the world's best cooks. They still have their own traditions, their own way of life, and their own sardonic pleasures. They welcomed, in their own unique manner, a bunch of strangers thrust upon them as a joke and offered us the best they had without compromising themselves in an effort to please. I respect that. You're sorry you came, I'm sure, said Cellar Dank. Not at all, I say. And I mean it. It was nice. On my third day in Narnia, I get kidnapped. A man falls into step beside me as I walk toward Kairaparavel for a state dinner. That's the capital. That's where mm-hmm. the castle is. And something sharp jabs into my side. So someone like, comes up to him and kind of starts to abduct him. Okay. In a flurry of gauze and a waft of sandalwood, a woman comes up on my other side and puts her hand on my arm. It's marked with burn scars, knife scars, and calluses of a, of a professional chef or an amateur who does a lot of cooking. She smiles at me, and in that single glance, I know she's my kind of woman. She knows my kind of scene. She's definitely a grill bitch. <laughs> and she's a grill bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Tony. Her voice matches her smile. Sensual, cynical, dangerous. We're not going to hurt you or them. We only want to show you a side of Narnia the tourists don't see. It will be much more fun, I promise. This sounds like a sex tour. I'm uncomfortable. They're taking him underground. They're taking him away from Times Square and taking him over, you know, like to the, you know, Lower East Side. No, I don't want to go there. (laughs) I don't don't want to go there. I want to meet coked up Elmo. Keep me in Times Square. 
Yeah. I'm trying to see this homeless guy standing on his head solving a Rubik's Cube with one hand, which I've actually seen in Times Square. There was this guy standing in front of a reflective surface. He didn't have a shirt on. He was blasting rap music and just bouncing, so all of his body jiggled. Mm-hmm. And everyone was arrested by this guy. They were just like... <laughs> my, I was walking, and this guy was like looking, and then he looked at my sister like, are you seeing this? And then he looked back. It was... A, it was I don't He wasn't doing it for anybody because he was just staring with his back to everybody, just jiggling. Just jiggling. He didn't have like a, a hat out. To- he, he had a he had a um, no. He didn't have a hat out, but he did have a mirror ball reflective top hat on, and a scarf and sunglasses and tight leather pants and nothing else. But nobody gave him any money. Should we? Was that the point? I don't know. That's what I'm asking. We're, I need to know. Were people giving him money? Let's. We're going back after this. Well, let's go. We're gonna. We're gonna we'll sort see, this. We'll out. find Thanos and we'll see the jiggly man. <laughs> we're gonna sort this. And the homeless man solving the Rubik's cube on his head. We're gonna figure it all out. That's wow. that's gonna be our new expanded universe. Yes, they're all gonna come together in the middle of Manhattan. Ah. <sighs> I love the way it sounds. This is great. Um, so he actually, well, Anthony Bourdain, he's on board. He doesn't want to go to that stuff. He says, no state dinner. I hate those fucking rubber chicken extravaganzas anyway. Instead, we're going with, and she introduces herself as Fasira, the Kellerman ambassador. That's that other continent you're talking okay. about, Keller. Um, and this gentleman is my friend, Hattie Moon Eater. And he's a, he's a werewolf. Um, Hattie Moon Eater upper his his upper lip rises displaying bright white teeth and says we are taking you to a werewolf meat bar he withdraws his claws from the side he whips around on the cameraman says you may not take pictures of me or of any of our guests you may not take pictures of the outside of the building or say where it is you may take pictures of the food only we are very he licks his lips with a red tongue very private people um so the rest of it is just as it was written but we're not watching anything so it's Mm -hmm. the same for us um Finally, we arrive upon a square, a windowless building of gray stone, halfway between an ancient fort and a Stalinist government building. The door creaks open, letting out clouds of steam, flickering firelight, and my favorite smell in the world, cooking meat. Grilling meat, roasting meat, frying meat, venison and pork, beef and duck, rendering fat and sizzling drippings. The room is half dining area, half open kitchen. Dogs on treadmills turn spits with impaled savory carcasses, and the booths and chairs and benches are all draped with lush furs. Peter would shit itself. I love it already. <laughs> um, so he sits down about a table with a bunch of werewolves. Um, they're chatting vaguely of jobs and assignments without any identifying details and many sudden pauses and change of topics. He says, they sound like hitmen or CIA agents or Hollywood producers. I appreciate that they invited me here, knowing that it meant they wouldn't be able to speak freely. After a while, a delicate palate cleanser of light broth with fluffy cubes of blood cake is passed around. This is all great, I say, but I expected a bit more challenge. Thought something maybe more for Narnia. And then they say, whoa, whoa, whoa. And the challenges begin. Everyone oh. starts saying, you... And that's like, it's like at the lunch table yeah. when everyone like gather around mm-hmm. and be like, oh my gosh, Billy's going to eat the, the really old Lunchable. Yeah. And we just, this is how it goes. Uh, Alex, uh, Alec is allergic to peanuts. He's going to have a peanut M&M. Go, go, go. go. The, 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 the lunch monitor is like no, wading no. through sea of children. Yeah. It's like trying to get there. God. And then uh, uh, it's like the, the descending towards your tongue, the food, whatever it is. Then the, then the food monitor just pulls out an EpiPen and just, because <laughs> Alex just did it. Comes back to life. Like Jon Snow. Jon Snow. <sighs> okay. Um, he forks up a small bird, roasted whole, head and all, and dumps it on my plate. Roast swiftlet. If you can eat it in one bite and swallow it all, I will give you the speed to escape the wolf. But you won't swallow it, pussy. 
Yeah, I'll wait until you see. Oh, shit. I popped the bird into my mouth, sinking my teeth into the crisp skin, buttery fat, and tender flesh. At first, it tastes like squab, but then I hit get a hit of bitter entrails. The flavors melt together as I chew, adding an unctuous marrow as I chunk, crunch down on the bones. I realize I'll choke if I try to swallow it, but Hattie and the boy are watching me with faint scorn, and the other werewolves with such a lack of curiosity that I know they think I'll never swallow, and Fasira with amusement, and Tracy with apparent glee at the prospect of me choking or spitting. Either way, humiliating myself disgustingly on air. Buku ratings, baby. I force it down, wincing as it makes its way down my throat. I hate to think what it'll do to my ass tomorrow. Better eat more to cushion it. Mm -hmm. Delicious, I announce, and everyone's very surprised. So someone else steps up and says, I will challenge you. Anticlimactically, she holds out a plate of small sausages. They're pointed at both ends like bananas, and the skin is slightly iridescent. They're not sausages at all. What are they? Leeches, the woman explains. Fed on blood, then seared to cook the flesh without coagulating the interior. A great traditional delicacy. Ew. I try not to wince when I pick one up. It can't be worse than the raw cobra heart, and it has to be better than the roasted warthog anus. But it's hard not to think of the slimy leeches that hung off Tracy's ass in the Malaysia episode. Tracy, I said dangling in the air, this one's for you. I drop it into my mouth. The skin resists, then pops like a hot dog. Yeah. Warm, coppery blood floods my mouth. I chew and swallow, but I can't say that I enjoy it. They ask him how it was. He says it tastes like getting punched in the nose. Hattie raises his hand, gives his attention. He says, three challenges are traditional at this table, and I hear you love tradition. I brought you here, so the last challenge is mine. I brace myself. Please, no anus. Anything but anus. It's anus, isn't it? Um, Hattie transforms um, you know, into a werewolf head. He howls, and a waiter comes out holding a wine bottle and a tray of glasses. The name of the drink is Mother and Child. Anthony says, It's pink and bubbly, like something a very girly 11-year-old would order. Or me, if we're being honest. I love that stuff. Oh, I mean, the girlier the drink, the better it tastes. It's fantastic. Anything that's like a man's drink is going to taste like absolute and utter shit. <laughs> it's just repression. No, it's disgusting. And I'm yeah. fighting that. I'm fighting yeah. that gender repression. I'm, yeah. I don't care. I'll no, drink it no. all day. I, I'll, I'll get the girliest thing, and it'll be good. I mean... Yeah. Pink no. and bubbly all day. Give me a Shirley Temple with whatever the fuck you put in it. I don't give a fuck. It's going to taste good. Animal fuck you. crackers in my soup today, please. <laughs> um. Monkeys and rabbits. Loop and loop. <laughs> and there's your... If you didn't know, Couch in Every Episode has been a Shirley Temple reference. That was about as on nose as we're going to get. Oh, okay. Animal I, crackers in my and, soup. Yeah. No, no, no. Ryan must be putting Shirley Temple references in every episode because I'm not. <laughs> Go back and listen again. See if you I know. Can I have to. I got to binge them. He asked what it is, obviously. Good question. Hattie, uh, the, the waiter Blood says... Wine. Yes. The mother and the mother and child, the mother is the milk of the mare. The child is the blood. The milk is fermented, and then the blood is added for flavor. For the first time, he smiles. Try it. You might enjoy it. I take a sip. Bubbles prickle my tongue. It's yogurt-like, tangy, with a mild alcoholic bite. The blood is only a grace note in the background. I do enjoy it. And he does. He likes it. And they all drink... And they um, they decide, well, we've been having this fun, but now it's time for you to make us a meal. So he goes back into the kitchen, and he cooks 
with Fasira, the Kalerman ambassador, um, to cook a feast in the Kalerman style for a ravenous room of werewolves. It's a rush to be back on the line, back where he does his best, where he's cooking. Mm -hmm. And he says it's exhilarating to cook with such a beautiful woman, even when we both know she's going home with a man who could bite my head off. We prepare roast duck with pomegranate sauce, squab stuffed with rice and pistachio, spiced meatballs, assorted kebabs, and to drink yogurt whisked with mint and water. Though the wares don't rave about the food, wares don't have to. But then they clean their plates and crack the bones, and that's a chef's best compliment. Yeah. When we finally stagger outside, drunk and stuffed and exhausted, dawn is breaking. Hattie... Breaking Dawn. Breaking Dawn. Hattie escorts us to the edge of the wood, then he goes back into them, and Fasira heads off towards Kai Paravel. We're looking for an inn when we hear a voice, a deep, rumbling, velvety voice. Not frightening, but awesome in the old sense of the word. Aslan? It comes from a huge lion <gasps> who somehow managed to sneak up on us without any of us noticing. Sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, says the lion, your time in Narnia is over. Already, I say. Can't help protesting. The Nine Lods greatly. <laughs> yes, Anthony Bourdain. <laughs> yes, Anthony Bourdain. Yes, Anthony Bourdain. Yes. Treasure your memories, for oh you may God. never return to Narnia. That's a common thing. Once you leave Narnia, you can never come back. Yeah. Unless you're the, what are the Penvinces? Is that the last name? The Pensieves. Is it Pensieves? I believe so. No, it's pe it's Pevensi. 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 Danke, Shane. It's your Pevensi, and then you can come back whenever you want. Right. The lion, uh, they say, what, did we do anything wrong? The lion shakes his great head, sending ripples throughout his mane. The time you had is the time you were given. Nothing can happen twice. And I understand what he means. I can never again taste the same pavender that Digwell made for me. So no matter how many other pavenders I eat, once a moment has passed, it's gone. Only the memories remain as memories and the desire to go somewhere new, try something different and create even more memories. It's not until we're back home that we realize the lion didn't name Tracy as one of the people who couldn't return. Tracy, when you're next to Narnia, give my regards to Reepicheep and his friends, to the werewolves and the marshwiggles, to Fasira if she's still there, and to that lion if you see him again. And if you can smuggle out a bottle of toffee apple brandy, meet me at the studio and we'll all raise a glass to Narnia. The end. That was pretty good. The end. You know Liam Neeson voiced Aslan. Yeah, I believe it. I buy it. Yeah. He's got a great voice. I've got a very particular set of skills, Anthony Bourdain. And we need to find my daughter in the cage. <laughs> um, there's a bunch of notes about the inspirations for this story. Uh, before this, you get into it, sure. I thought that was really fucking good. Mm. I thought that was very well written. Whoever this person is needs to create an actual food blog because you are very descriptive and you're a very good writer. I mean, why are you writing about Narnia? You know what I mean? Go to Olive Garden in your hometown and write about... No, I'm serious. This person probably has an amazing Yelp profile. Probably. Can we, just, can we, talk, can we yeah. admit that? That's probably a I, case. I can agree to that. Um, they, this author did a lot of research. So um, the style for this story was based on Anthony Bourdain's book. I'm quoting from the notes section. Mm -hmm. A Cook's Tour, Global Adventures in Extreme Cuisine, which I highly recommend. And then they have a link to Amazon to go buy it. So if you like that kind of like... Yeah. If you like that kind of like food journalism, that is like... Yeah, the tome to read is mm -hmm. really good. Um, the main resource for the food served by the the rabbit the, the beaver was the cooking of the British Isles, which is also a book, and you can read accounts of various puddings in Laurie Colwyn's wondrous book of cooking essays, home cooking, a writer in the kitchen. So this person has read like three cookbooks At and least. Anthony's books to kind of, and now they're using that to write this story. This was really good. Mm -hmm. Like I'm. I'm sincerely wow, and this is and that's something that you that you read 
you know, you hear a lot about authors like they're so well yeah. read. They use all that, all that style, yeah. and all those those word choices and everything mm-hmm. to make their own stories, and that, that definitely shows through in how they write about food. Yeah, I, I don't remember who it is, but it, what is it? For every hundred words, thousand words you write, you should have read a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. This person read more than that and wrote something great. Mm-hmm. What what what's it called? This is called No Reservations: Colon Narnia. Where do I find it? Fanfiction.net. Who wrote it? It was written by Edo Nohana, E-D-O-N-O-H-A-N-A, Edo Nohana. Well, oh, wow. Very. No, seriously. <laughs> Extremely like, well written. Very the Calamiran well dishes are based on Persian cuisine with variations inspired by Lewis's mouthwater descriptions in The Horse and His Boy. They mention another Anthony Bourdain book, Medium Raw, A Bloody Valentine to the World of Food and the People Who Cook. That was an inspiration for like the raw meats that he was eating at the end there. Yeah. Uh, Mother and Child is based on kumis a Central Asian fermented milk beverage, which is not actually mixed with blood. The name was inspired by the Japanese chicken and egg dish Oyakadon, or parent and child bowl. And uh, as a disclaimer, I don't think anyone actually eats leeches. That's the last note there. No, that... Wow, that was really good. I think one thing I really liked about it is, you know how when you go back and you read history and everyone goes, oh, that's just about the kings and queens. No, it's not about the regular people. It's almost like... When you read Narnia, it's like, oh, that's just about the kings and queens and the great battles. That's not about the regular people. And Anthony Bourdain, this person writing through Anthony Bourdain's perspective, was talking about the regular people. And that was really cool. And you learn a lot just about the werewolf culture. You learn a lot about mm-hmm. the the furry creators. Um, Lil Wayne had an appearance. I mean, this had everything. <laughs> There's actually this nice coda that this person wrote. I don't know, Rachel Manesia, maybe this is the author. They added a little addendum to the end. And it brings me to their Goodreads um, web, website. And they wrote a little something about Anthony Bourdain. Um, quote, death doesn't discriminate between the sinners and the saints. It takes and it takes and it takes. That's a Hamilton line. Yeah. I always hoped someday I'd get to meet Tony Bourdain. I daydreamed about taking him to places in L.A. he wouldn't have already been tipped off about. Not plan check or chego as good as they are, but the ruined pair, followed by a grab bag from the Thai dessert places on other, either side of it, or maybe to the Izakaya Fraibo or the food court in Mitsuo if he was missing Tokyo. I found a surprising reason this last year to like him even more than I already did. He was one of the very few men who spoke out for the women, spearheading, spearheading hashtag me too, mm-hmm. straightforwardly supporting people who had been sexually harassed and coming out against the ones doing the harassing. This seems like a low bar, but I can count on the fingers on one hand the male celebrities who reached it. He also wrote about his own part in creating a society where harassment is acceptable, not to excuse himself, but to say it was wrong and that he's not doing it anymore. This is not an easy thing to acknowledge. Again, hardly anyone has. But even fewer put their efforts into making things right. He did. Sometimes, if you really love life, if you appreciate all the wonderful things in it, the egg salad sandwiches at Lawson's in Tokyo, a bowl of pho by a roadside in Vietnam, raw oysters in France, when those moments stop making you happy, it can feel like there's nothing left. Like you're a ghost, unable to touch and taste this beautiful world. And that nothing is all, and that nothing is all the more bitter because of the memory of what it was like when all of those moments could make you incandescent with joy. I'm talking about myself, of course. I can't know if I'm talking about him too. All any of us can do now is guess. I hope he had as much joy in his life as sorrow. I hope all the moments when he seemed happy, he was. I hope my daydreams were wrong, and someone else took him to ruin pair, 
and ordered him the crumbled pork with black olives and the sautéed morning glory stems. R.I.P. Anthony Bourdain. There's absolutely no way I can follow that up with anything coherent or as nice. That was incredible. That was incredible. No, it was hands down fucking incredible. Wow. That was what was her name? I, Rachel. Rachel M A N I J A. Rachel, uh, hats off. Fantastic. Wow. You're an amazing writer. That was an amazing thing to say to say about him to him. Uh, I genuinely wish you would have been able to take him. To, you would have been able to take him to those restaurants. Mm-hmm. Just wow. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm not going to lie, Ryan. This is at least top five, at least top three of the ones we've read. It's very solid. It's very good. I really, I don't, I don't, I have no criticism for no. it. No, especially after reading that. I mean, I did not, I didn't, I didn't see that until just now. That's that's pretty, that's pretty heavy. No, that's that's great. Really good. I I don't even want to do a stoked on segment. We will, but like, I there's I don't really want to follow that. There's mm-hmm. not there's no way we can intelligently follow that. Mm-hmm. Not at all. No. Wow. No. Fantastic. That was great. Mm-hmm. Look at that. Someone finally got us to shut the hell up. So <laughs> that's <laughs> there you go. She did it. Congrats, Rachel. Yeah. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah, uh, I guess I'll reluctantly ask. Are you stoked on anything, Ryan? Uh, you... Yeah, actually, I, I have something other yeah, that I'm also really stoked right. on. Um, so when I moved to New Jersey, I kind of just I, I don't have like some I have something in my car. I don't really use it to listen to my phone or music mm-hmm. or whatever. So I, I listen to terrestrial radio a lot. And is that a term people use? Terrestrial radio? I mean, it's like FM AM. Um, no, I, I know, I know what you mean, but I've never heard it phrased that way I'm before. Pretty, maybe I'm the only one who says that. I'm, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I know that's clever. It's a cool name. I'm not. I'm not criticizing. I'm just. I've never heard anybody use it that there's way. Terrestrial television. There's got to be terrestrial radio, right? If radio that's not a thing, that I'm travels to use it. along the land is broadcast from a land-based station. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Um, and I, I guess satellite terrestrial. I mean, satellite radio, terrestrial sure. radio. Um, and I started listening just because it was the pop channel, 95.5 WPLJ. Mm-hmm. And I was driving home yesterday, Friday, which was May 31st. Uh, May 31st. And they started talking about how they're going off air. Like, this is our last day. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were talking about all the various artists that had been on the station. And I was like, kind of interested. So it's just a story, something I had on the background this whole time. I, I yeah. looked it up. 95. Five WPLJ has been on going nonstop in New York for 48 years. Wow! The last time they had radio silence, um, John Lennon had just been killed, and they were playing Beatles, John Lennon nonstop, mm-hmm. nonstop. Yoko actually called in. Yoko Ono was yeah. John's wife. Called in and said, "Can we have a moment of silence for him?" The last time they went off air was moment of silence for for John Lennon. Wow! Um, and since then they've had countless you know interviews and they've, they've been like the pop music station of new york um so that all over the last couple of days they told stories they um replayed performances from their uh, stage 17 mm-hmm. they had like people like adele before she was big dave wow. matthews they were playing backstreet boys to the bgs to everything um and i did more research and it plays the um Play such a big part of like New York's DNA when um, the attacks of September 11th, which we covered mm-hmm. so graciously in Tumbling Towers. No, I wouldn't say graciously. <laughs> when that happened, they stayed on the air for like 18 hours, and the cell service had been knocked out, and they were taking calls for people oh trying God. to get in contact. They, 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 they talked about how that's like the most affecting moment of their life, and yeah. how that kind of informed everything. So. This radio station that I've just been listening to yeah. was, has been such an, an integral part. And so yesterday was their last day on air at 7 p.m., uh, May 31st. They went off air. 
So I, I thought that was pretty cool. And I really enjoyed looking it up and, wow. and kind of the history Thank of 95.5 WPLJ. Wow. So what, who's taking the... Some like Christian contemporary ah, station. Yeah, whatever. whatever. They're the only people that listen to terrestrial radio nowadays. <laughs> yeah, and me. 48 years young, 95.5 WPLJ. Thank you. Wow. That was really cool, Ryan. Thank it was. You. I heard it, and I it was just it was the cool. It was really cool. That was really Sad cool. and really cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. man. Um, okay, so for me, in general, I just visited Washington D.C. for the first time. Nice. It was awesome. I Memorial think, Day, right? You were it there? was. Yeah, I was there for Memorial Day. I think if you are not from the U.S., I think you'd really enjoy it too. I don't think it's an exclusively U.S. thing. There's a lot of history there, just in general. They had. I went to the Air and Space Museum. They had the Bell X One, which was the first plane to break the sound barrier. Ooh, the nice. glamorous Glennis, flown by Chuck Yeager. Mm-hmm. Chuck Yeager of Yeager bomb fame. I don't believe so, but maybe <laughs> the X Fifteen. It's a. Um, it's actually in Doom Patrol. The X Fifteen is. Oh, yeah? yeah, they have uh, John Glenn's capsule from mm. the first American orbit around wow. the Earth. That's the Museum of, of Flight, right? The National Air and Space Museum in Smithsonian. It's awesome. There were just so many cool Everything, things there. And all those amazing museums of mm-hmm. like like world history importance, not yeah. just American history, are free. It's all free. Everything the in D.C. is free, free like that. Free. Yeah. The zoo's free, all of that. I went to Arlington. That was amazing. Mm-hmm. I got to see the... It's National the, Cemetery. Yeah. I got to see the changing of the guard uh, for the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. For those of you listening that don't know what it is... They've taken one from each major war since World War One, uh, uh, unidentified body, and basically that represents the unidentified bodies of all Americans mm-hmm. around the world that have died fighting for freedom for, as they put it, everyone. Mm-hmm. If you disagree with that, let's just let's just not get into that right now. Yeah, but it's pretty. It's just extremely respectful. It is nothing is political no, about any nothing, of that stuff. It's, not it's in the very slightest. Tasteful. Very and. Tasteful. That was really cool to see that. And, you know, now with the DNA technology, there's a big question on whether or not they should DNA test those people. And the whole point is that they're supposed to be anonymous because they're representations of something. If I believe the Marines protect them. It might be the Army. Whoever protects the mm-hmm, Tomb of the mm-hmm. Unknown Soldier, that's like the highest honor you can get mm-hmm. in that branch because you're basically protecting the bodies of all anonymous killed in action soldiers so that's really big arlington was great but i think the biggest thing that really blew my mind and i like i said i've never been there so i saw the washington monument for the first time the lincoln memorial the jefferson memorial which was awesome fdr all those things all these amazing things capitol Mm -hmm. building white house whatever the coolest thing that i saw the entire time was in the smithsonian american history museum and that museum alone has so many cool things mm-hmm. like the ruby slippers from uh, yeah yes yes, yeah, yes, yes. from uh wizard of oz yeah like puppets from sesame street and all that i yes, saw so. the swedish chef mm-hmm. uh from from uh, muppets for, yeah from muppets lincoln's hat the night he died when yeah. he was at ford's did theater. you go to did you go to ford's theater it was under maintenance i'm very upset it was pretty get, i like this you get to see the bed where he yes. died it's pretty crazy it's across the street but yeah yeah but that's under, part of the tour yeah yeah mm-hmm. but it was under maintenance so i didn't get to see that which is unfortunate but no big deal. Who would make it under maintenance Memorial Day weekend? That's kind of dumb. Who knows? Gearing up for 4th of July. Yeah, I guess so. Got to see the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. Oh, that's that was really cool. The, the Korean, Korean War Memorial. Is, is awesome. That was really cool. I took a really cool picture there. But like I said, the thing that got me the most was at the Smithsonian American History Museum, and it was the flag that was flying over Fort McHenry that inspired the U.S. National Anthem. Francis Scott Key was a prisoner of war on a British warship. But wow, you, you're not allowed to take pictures. It's in this big, dark part of the museum because the light could damage it. 
And oh my god, it is massive and it is really cool and it still has the holes in it from when, you know, it was in a part of the war and everything and wow, it's old glory. It is it is a it's a 15 star and stripe flag. Nice. And it is just really cool. And mm-hmm. you, you sit there and you're like, oh my god, this I really want to steal this. I want to, I need to steal this. I I went to the National Archive and I was like, we need to we need to get uh, connect. Did you this. did yeah, you yeah. <laughs> That's a really um, cool yeah. No, that, the National awesome. Archives is really cool. See the Bill of Rights, see all of that. It was the Declaration of Independence, Constitution, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. They're all fading really badly. Right. But. And it's, it, we we have the advantage because they're very old, but it's also recent enough where we we still have all yeah, this stuff. Exactly. And, it's still and there we, were, to see. we were we had the the wherewithal to keep them. Mm-hmm. But no, that flag was the I don't know that was just like the coolest Struck thing. Struck a chord in you. It really did. Sure. That that was um, proud to be an American You're was playing in my hand repeat, and uh, I had eagles fly over me, and uh, you know F twenty two is just getting like I was just like, yeah, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> this is really cool. Mm-hmm. Also, they have those stupid ass lime scooters there, oh and they're gosh. they're very convenient though. I'm not gonna lie. Cheap, pretty cheap, pretty Everybody convenient. Yep. When when time is of the essence, it's pretty convenient, but. Mm-hmm. Reluctantly, I use those a bunch. Yeah, the mall is, is bigger. Than the you National expect. Mall is gigantic. It's big. And on, like I said, I recommend everyone take a trip there. It doesn't have to be pricey if you don't want it to, because everything's free. Mm-hmm. Literally, everything is free. You see the cherry blossoms. Yeah, there's, there's great beauty in that area. Virginia's yeah. right there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things. Mount Vernon. It's yeah, it's wonderful. I didn't pay for any attractions. I paid for food and lodging and transportation. Mm-hmm. So you can do a lot, a lot there. And we were only there for. Two and a half days where we could do things, and we still didn't get everything done. So you stoked on America? You stoked on Washington D.C.? I'm stoked on the flag. <laughs> no, stoked I'm, flag. I'm, I'm stoked on that flag. That was. If you go, if someone asked me, I'm I'm going to D.C. and I can see one thing, I would say go to that museum and I go see the flag. I don't know why. It just really struck a chord with me. Sure. And I'm telling you to do that over the glamorous Glennis, and that's a beautiful aircraft. <laughs> just saying. Forget it. Yes. They also have the uh, the aircraft that was the first one to circumnavigate the globe without uh, refueling. Mm. The, I think it's called the Voyager. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah there's there's plenty cool of reasons there. to go. Yeah. yeah. So, stoked on that. DC's cool. Not as cool as this Anthony Bourdain fic that mm-hmm. we read. So, Pretty dope, yeah. Uh, that was great. I mean, any... I don't... What should we remember, Ryan? You know, all I could say is, I'm just going to quote, I, I hope you continue to love life. Appreciate the small, wonderful things, from the egg salad sandwiches at Lawson's to a bowl of pho by a roadside in Vietnam or a raw oyster in France. I hope those things continue to make you incandescent with joy.